All right. Welcome back to Uncommonly Good with Alan Ladd and Mike Reed. We have a guest speaker with us today, Bryson Oliver. Oh, definitely excited to have Bryson in here. Bryson is a is an outstanding athlete uh, from Throckmorton, Texas. Uh, definitely been a state champion in uh, in football. Uh, won the uh, MVP award in the state championship football game. Uh, graduated from ACU. And how many years did it take you to graduate from ACU? Uh, three and a half years. Three and a half years. Um, I think I was still in my freshman year in college after three and a half years. Uh, <laughs> I can believe that. <laughs> so, so I, uh, anyways, the IQ in this room, you would definitely have to say. Uh, yeah, went it's up. gone up. It's it, gone up on the scale. Yeah, yeah it's gone up. moved up a few points. Yeah, it, it's definitely moved up a few. So, uh, And this is our second episode, and this one is titled Lessons That Changed My Perspective. So the, that's going to be our main topic that we will get into later. We're going to tell some stories about lessons that changed our perspective. And for us, since we're all coaches, it's going to kind of be more geared that way a little bit. Um, but before we get into all that, first up, we've got current events, things that have been going on. Uh, in the world and this one is these are going to be a little bit more starting off COVID based Uh, the first one I have up is I was going to ask if any of y'all saw about what the Patriots did this week no I heard you talking about it but yeah no I had a story all right so what ended up happening is the Patriots I don't know if y'all saw this but they delivered 1.2 million of the uh, N95 max masks which is the mask that the medical staffs all over the country and the world are using right now during this virus outbreak um and so they actually went to china got the masks and brought them back oh, wow. to massachusetts uh and what had happened there was that so the governor of massachusetts was made a deal for these masks uh to purchase them from whatever company or government organization in china that they did but he had no way to go get them and they weren't able to get a plane or anything going on. And so eventually he was like, you know what? I know there's a plane that's not being used right now for anything. And it was the New England Patriots. And so reached out to them and they agreed. And they had to make some changes and upgrades as far as for the plane as uh, sanitary reasons and things. But that's impressive but, that, yeah. you, that in times like this you can see how the organizations are all pulling together to try to do what's in the best interest of, of just humanity within itself. So that's a lot of props to that organization and for the owners of being able to do that. And for them for thinking outside the box uh, to be able to do that for them. Yeah, I thought that's a very creative solution to be able to get something done and using what they have, which was the Patriots and kudos to Kraft and all those guys there going, yeah, you know what? Like, we'll step up and do it. That's absolutely. been big. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think sports organizations just, I mean, starting to realize where they need to be, and and, and with sports being canceled, that they got to be a part of society now, and they got to they got to move in a world beyond sports, and just and they got to everybody's coming together. That means them included. Now they're not as isolated as they kind of have been. They've stepped out back into the public eye, and, yeah, and, and really reached out a helping hand. Right. And then uh, another thing, which I don't know if y'all have seen, it's kind of popped up more. Um, Now this, what happened isn't necessarily a current event, but it's come up in the current events as it's probably going to end up being an issue for us here in the U.S. is that uh, leading up to this week, there have been U.S. companies who have been selling, who had been selling medical supplies overseas, you know, um, when other countries were hurting during the beginning of this crisis and it, we hadn't really we had started to see the effects here but hadn't really had a lot going on um you know thinking about like early march you know at that time and they're selling medical supplies overseas and they've kind of continued to do so well now that we're running low on you know masks gloves ventilators every kind of medical equipment that need, we need 
there I mean there's like New York they're saying I mean they may be out as soon as April 5th of all these medical supplies they need and we have companies selling them overseas it's kind of just been a, a hot button issue I didn't know if y'all heard that or what you thought about that no I I really haven't seen any or you know heard anything about that on you know especially on the current base situation uh, I've seen some projections just kind of just I've seen some some scenarios of where they've given just different forms of lockdowns and kind of what if, if we use different forms of lockdown when hospitals are going to start running out of supplies. Um, but I haven't necessarily heard. I, I just saw kind of a Texas one that just said if if we use some of the lockdown um, types that, that China and those guys have been using that we won't run out of supplies. But if we keep on the course we've been or even go to like a, I mean, Texas being a friendly state, but I mean, if we keep on where we're at, I mean, you're looking at towards the end of April be, being out of supplies or maybe being at full capacity. Those are really the only thing I've seen, just some of those projections, but I don't know really the true true measure of what we're going to be looking at. Well, and for me, I'm wondering how to some curiosity stuff. Is it going to end up when the weather starts getting warmer? Is this going to be something that the virus is actually going to go away with? And I've been waiting on the medical and, and people been... to kind of say that. You know, they, they keep saying it's flu-based. Well, if it's flu-based to a certain degree, even though it's way more serious than the yes. flu, we understand that. But also, is this something that's going to become dormant as the temperature rises? You know, the people up in the northern states are obviously handling this way different than what we are in Texas in the sense of, well, my dad lives in Minnesota, and he's saying it's just now the snow's just now melting. So obviously, uh, you know, with it being, is it something that's going to change and lessen as the temperatures go up and then come back, you know, once uh, once the weather's dropped back down after the summertime? So... um, that that's some of the things I'm kind of waiting to see if it gets brought up. Yeah, I mean those are all those are all really good points, and that is the thing that they haven't come out and said yet. So we're I mean, thing for us is we're just all going to kind of be sitting around at the house waiting on pins and needles to see what's going on and to see when this starts to uh, trend down. Yeah. So on to a little bit more lighter note, uh, a lot of things going on on social media. There's been a lot of memes and stuff having to do with the coronavirus and quarantine. So we're just going to kind of talk about a few that we like or that we think are very funny. So what's one that, Coach Reed, that you have that's a favorite? Well, this this one's just, and I've seen a lot of them from an educational standpoint, but I think this one probably hits home more than more than any for me. Um, this was it showed a uh, lady kind of wearing a real uh, scantily uh, – dress clothing as she's leaning over into the uh, refrigerator and you can see kind of half her body uh, leaning over she's opening it up and she's got very nice attractive legs and uh, (laughs) on the other side um, it says uh, one month after quarantine and it looks like Santa Claus's wife is leaning over uh, wearing uh, the stretched out uh, clothes that uh, once fit about a month ago and that that was me I'm telling you that was me that was me after about two weeks and uh, you know, obviously any excuse now that I've had from not getting outside and running and, and having a little bit more free time, you know, all that, or taking the time to even cook in my own house and eat right, you know, all those excuses are gone. So, uh, I've, I've been on a two week, uh, diet just off this one <laughs> meme. And and, right yeah. Now. yeah. <laughs> just off this one meme. Oh, <laughs> this yeah. one meme has definitely stood out for me. Bryson, what do you got? Um, so I, I'm, my Facebook's really just kind of been flooded with the the Tiger King. So Tiger King is a Netflix documentary. If you guys have not gotten a chance to go on and watch it, I would recommend it now. Not because it's just pure intelligent content. I mean, this is this is Oklahoma uh, cult zoo tiger running people. Um, but Joe Exotic is the main character, um, and that's I think his name. It's what he goes by. If that tells you anything about the show. Um, 
but a lot of people are joking around saying that he's brought the nation together because that's what we're all watching now that we're quarantined. But uh, one that I saw that was pretty funny that, that sums up the show, it's a uh, they, somebody put on there that they, this is when they knew they were watching a, a strange show. It's a their maintenance director is uh, long hair, doesn't have a shirt on, and is pouring gasoline from one barrel onto another in a shed full of gasoline while smoking a cigarette uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. with, with the shades on, cracked, <laughs> cracked lenses on his shades. Well, uh, did you have you watched it? Have, oh yeah, okay. yeah. So I've I've seen it. So um, I just saw this on the bottom scroll on the bottom of ESPN. Was Charles? Barkley? No, Shaq. Or Shaq, Shaq, I mean. Yeah, Shaq's had to actually cover himself a little bit. So there's a clip in there where Shaq on NBA Live says, uh, shout out to Joe Exotic, I bought another Tiger from him. Um, Which, if you watch the show, they they portray that they've, I mean, they're not not doing good things at any of these Tiger camps. Um, PETA's after him for treatment of animals yeah. um so he's had that i've seen a couple things where he's gone on and said i do not support or endorse joe exotic okay. and some of the things they do but that netflix did air that clip that said that shaq saying hey shout out to joe exotic in oklahoma well and i could see sometimes people just going in famous people a lot of times you know uh hey i want to just go on this ranch you know uh, mm-hmm. you know just somebody has a ranch and they're like hey famous person's gonna come out here's shaq hey shaq's gonna come out here. and you just go randomly visit a ranch mm-hmm. and you you meet the person for 15 20 minutes and then l- later on you may realize oh wow uh i i, I can't believe i just oh. had a conversation with this person somebody took a picture of me yeah. with this person and then all of a sudden you're all over the well the crazy thing is, is so um people because it's really blown up people that uh i've seen on facebook or that my wife's seen on facebook that they figured out they've gone back because they can remember going on trips to uh different places like oh they went to the fair and there were tigers there and then they've gone through like public records and figured out they were Joe Exotic's tigers, or that they've come to schools and they're now going. I remember in eighth grade, they there were tigers they brought to the school as part of this thing going on. And I wonder if those were his or not. And they go through and ask people, and yeah, it was his tigers. So I mean, he's he's been around. He's done a lot yeah. of things like before all this. Well, is I have, I have not watched it, but. It- yeah, and, and a lot of people, too, just with this kind of being in a more northern part of Texas, I mean, a lot of people I've seen on Instagram that they post a picture, they went, and there's a picture of Joe Exotic in the background, and it's his house, or, or I mean, it's all on his farm and his ranch. But, I mean, they just go, and they're, they're going to pet a tiger, yeah. and they're going yeah. to see something they awesome. Don't know, I mean, you yeah, get that opportunity. They don't know anything else. Yeah, you yeah. get that opportunity, and, and that's just something crazy, but knowing that they don't endorse that. You got a, you got a meme or something sticks out to you? Um. The one, the one that I saw, I saw the other day was uh, what Mindy put on there, and it's kind of like yours, where and it's just a little clip, and it says, uh, "If you're str- still struggling to uh, stop eating during quarantine, change out of your pajamas and into your bathing suit. That should stop it." <laughs> you know, like and it's just, that was just one of those that I just thought is really funny. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah that, that would do be it. That would do it for me. Yeah, that would definitely, yeah. definitely <laughs> do it for yeah. me. <laughs> All right. So uh, next thing we got our on this day in history. So course because i'm a history dude so i've i do enjoy this segment so uh i got three things for y'all one the first one up is from so on this day in 1917 this is on april 2nd 1917 uh woodrow wilson tells congress the world must be made safe for democracy democracy asking for a declaration of war so this is when we officially went ahead and declared war to enter into world war one uh, in 1917 Another thing, which people may not have heard about this at all, uh, Charles Lindbergh, 
and the Lindbergh kidnapping his son was kidnapped in 1932 and on this day they dropped off and paid the ransom money but they didn't they weren't able to get the son back that he wasn't where he was supposed to be who and kidnapped then, him um the guy who kidnapped him his name is Bruno Hop Hoptman and so uh and he uh, is who ended up he went to jail because they found the son later dead and they ended up they caught him weirdest way though they caught him was um they identified they figured out it was him because they had some other circumstantial evidence but then another thing they had was they could tell there had been a ladder and it had fallen they matched and it broke part of the rung well they matched it and they said yeah it's the rung from that ladder by the type of wood now this is 1932 <laughs> that's everyone impressive. has a wooden impressive. ladder yeah that's impressive and so that and so that's where people are like that's either really impressive forensic work or this guy got framed yeah so that's kind of one thing about it that's always been up in the air with that but yeah charles Lindbergh paying the ransom there in 1932 yeah now the last one and this is kind of about this so in 1979 the russian anthrax epidemic started and so where it started was in uh i can't pronounce this but i'm gonna try at Kretenberg, russia and uh it began there and by the time it was done 62 people were dead Dink, i think not there's a bioweapons facility <laughs> there in that town in russia and they finally figured out it in 1992 that anthrax that was there had either gotten out through faulty storing or through an employee yeah. and yeah this was is spread out you know it was, it was as crazy. i was growing up of course my dad was in the military and air force for 23 years so as growing up you know you hear a lot of different stories that he talked about and anthrax was definitely one that he always talked about and just how it even changed how the postal service was run at that time because they had found out that uh, that the anthrax scare and all that was going on that people could definitely have their hands on it and the different ways that people just even had to open up their packages and things like that I mean there's been a lot of different moments through our you know through our culture and society that um, history has shown us that uh, even after COVID-19 gets done with that we're still going to have some other other uh, things come well, up and another thing too is that through things like that like you said things had to change with postal services opening packages checking packages all that Every time there's a crisis, it changes something one way, good or bad. Yeah, that's what I was. It sounded very 9/11ish, like with the with how uh, airport security changed. Yes, yeah, completely. Yeah, because you can watch. Think of all the movies you can watch from. This is just me in the 90s, where if it's a romantic comedy, there's always that scene, right, where he they they run their significant other down in the airport and all of that. <laughs> where I watch that in a movie, and I'm yeah. like. When did that happen? Because yeah. 2001, I'm nine years old, so I don't remember. And growing up, and I remember one time asking my mom, like, when did people do that? And she's like, it before not before 9/11. Oh yeah, you could walk into in. an airport yeah. and just hang out. Yeah, people could wear their Hawaiian <laughs> shirts and cargo pants, and they can go walking in and and uh, just hang out in airports. And even if they yeah. wanted to walk up and touch an airplane, you know, you could oh, probably yeah. you could ride the baggage carrier if you wanted oh, to. Oh yeah, if you know, if you know the right guy that's bored, <laughs> like yeah, fine, come on. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, it's crazy about that. So, Coach Reed, I'm gonna go ahead and put you on the spot. Dead joke. Well, um, so Striker, uh, my son, he came in the other day. I love spaghetti. Cannot cook spaghetti. So if that tells you anything about how I, how I cook, I can't even cook spaghetti. But my wife makes fantastic spaghetti. But so we're just in there hanging in, and uh, he he comes in there, and he, you know he's always rummaging for something to eat or you know grab the noodle before it's ready out of there. And so I did ask him. I said, uh, Hey, Striker, uh, what do you call a fake noodle? An impasta. <laughs> 
That's, that's all I got. That's all I got. I know Coach O has, has one that he likes, so go ahead. I know you have one you like. Oh, I do like my uh, – so what do you call um, – and then I like to think I'm one of these these people, unless I'm around a different company, but somebody that doesn't fart or that, that does not fart in public. What you got? Which, yeah. A private tutor. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. That is a good one. I know I'm not that with you guys, but most of the time. It's all right. I'm, I'm behind y'all, too. I don't even have one, so <laughs> it's not a big deal. All right, so uh, we're going to go ahead now and get into kind of uh, get into the uh, the heart of our episode right here on lessons that changed my perspective. And I know, Coach Reed, you got yours all lined out. So, But which one are you going to Jack Allen or Donnie Moore? Well, Jack Allen told me the story okay. about Donnie Moore. All right. All right. Now, I don't. People probably around this area know who Jack Allen is um, because Jack Allen, uh, he graduated high school in 1953 from Ranger College. Okay? He graduated high school from Ranger College? Or from Ranger. Okay. You got me. Uh, yeah, from I, Ranger. From Ranger. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. <laughs> and uh, so he left there and then he wound up becoming uh, Ranger Junior College's baseball coach. And I really, to try to, to try to, give people a visualization of when I, I was at Tarleton I just graduated from high school and I had to take um, some, some coaching classes and I took a coaching baseball class now people that's kind of people that kind of know me is a little bit of a joke I mean I I'm yeah. my my uh, baseball knowledge and everything is is not very strong as, uh, your, not, as your head baseball coach it astounds <laughs> me that you <laughs> that you've actually had that class I didn't know you've done oh, that <laughs> from the legendary from the legendary Jack Allen no doubt um, to give people a visualization who and all I've been doing this for 20 something years all right coaching for 20 years and who left in it everlasting impression on me in this coaching baseball class was this guy Jack Allen now I'm gonna tell you the visualization as you're looking at the picture of him oh, I, w- wow. I would it's a it's a Danny DeVito Babe Ruth combination yeah yeah I would picture get the get an old trucker hat you know that you can find and kind of bend it up a little bit slap it on top of Danny DeVito uh, picture a little uh, uh, Dan- Danny DeVito's hairstyle with uh Babe Ruth's face. Yeah. 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 And uh, I'm sure without knowing this, but how he talked in class, um, he could put oh. any he could put any sailor under the table for sure, uh, <laughs> with his language. And uh, and if I without knowing this, I don't know whether he drank or smoked, but I if you could picture a guy hanging a little a little glass shot glass right here, just a normal whiskey glass right there in his left hand, and a big old fat cigar in, in between his two fingers in the right hand. He's standing up there talking. I mean, that's he's talking with his hands, but that's what I'm visualizing in his hands <laughs> as he's telling me this story in in this classroom. It's lecture props. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so he, he told me a, a story about a kid by the name of Donnie Moore. And uh, he wound up, Jack Allen was the head baseball coach at Ranger Junior College. And without a doubt, one of the most astounding uh, baseball coaches in this area, bar none. He's definitely in the Hall of Fame. And so uh, he's telling a story about this kid named Donnie Moore. He gets a phone call. Now you got to remember, this is back in... Uh, 1973, 75 uh, years, and he gets a phone call and he says, hey, uh, there's a kid up at Monterey High School named Donnie Moore, and I want you to come watch him. He's a freshman. I want you to come watch him. So he drives up to, he drives up to Lubbock, to yeah. Monterey, to, to watch him at Monterey. And uh, so he gets there, and they're, this little freshman kid's out on the mound, and he's pitching it away. And he wins, wins, wins the game he's pitching. 
Jack Allen says, he goes, man, this kid's got some talent. He's pretty dang good. Calls him over there, says, hey, Donnie, it's nice to meet you. He says, I'm Jack Allen, and I coach at Ranger Junior College, and I'm going to tell you, I, you got some talent, and I'm going to keep my eye on you. So from that year on, every year after that, he wound up uh, keeping up with Donnie Moore. Now, you can go to Monterey High School, and his picture's in Monterey High School, and I can't remember how many state titles they've won, but he never lost a game while he pitched at Monterey High School. Wow. Uh, phenomenal athlete. He was one of the most top recruited people. USC is calling him. You name the Division One school, Florida. They are putting this kid, a senior in high school, putting him on a plane in 1970s, you know, 73, putting him on a plane and flying this cat all over the United States. Wow. Okay. He's wined and dined. He's sitting in his dormitory, or he's sitting in his mom's house. Phone rings. Jack Allen calls Donnie. Says, Donnie, hey, I got to ask you something. He says, uh, yeah. He goes, I know you're being flown all over the world. Don't have any money to fly you. Don't even have the money to even come get you because I'm, I'm in Ranger Junior College. And uh, I want you to uh, come tour the school and let me see if I can get you to, to check out the school. He's like, yeah, coach, I I will. I'll, I'll do that. Now, Donnie, I don't have any money to give you to even pay for your gas. Like, I don't have anything, but will you come? Yeah, coach, I'll, I'll come. So Donnie jumps in his car, drives down uh, to Ranger Junior College. Now, try to help people um, because... He drives the five, six hours from Lubbock, Texas to Ranger. Oh, so over on in... One, yeah, on one interstate. Yeah, on one interstate. Spot. Yeah, and head out to... And it's in Eastland. It's right, right, yeah, yeah, Ranger, right, yeah, Ranger right on the edge of Eastland. 45 minutes west of Now, if you're driving through Ranger, what, what do you think? I mean, you've seen, you've been yeah, in Ranger I've Junior College. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a prairie. Uh, yeah. the baseball, you know, the baseball fields, uh, it's, it's, it's a gopher hole. It's and, a pasture. Yeah, it's a pasture with a little fence around it. Uh, the dormitories probably look like something in what? I, I would just, uh, maybe the last chance you know when they go to Independence, Kansas, Kansas those. Oh, yeah. It's just, oh, it's a rundown. I was, was thinking Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, that's what I was, was going to say, like, uh, the, the Blair Witch Project, <laughs> yeah. her house. Like, yeah. I don't know if they had to haggle with her not to purchase that yeah. for the college. Yeah, maybe, but, I, maybe yeah. I'll have a little bit. I mean, so yes. <laughs> they aspire to look like those dormitories. <laughs> so uh, Jack Allen sits there and says, Donnie, you've seen the tour. Took the two minutes to see it. Uh, but I got to ask, I know the answer. I'm not offended by the answer, but I have to ask, will you come to Ranger Junior College? Yeah, coach. I sure will. Oh my gosh. What? Oh, yeah. I mean, you think where this guy's been. Yeah. So Donnie Moore says, yeah, coach. I sure will. This kid, all, I mean, everybody wants him. Never lost a high school baseball game. I mean, freak. Ugh. Donnie, I, I, I got to ask you, why, why are you coming? Because, Coach, you believed in me before I was good. Everybody else believed in me after I was good, when I already kind of proved my stats. So I, I wanted to go, I want to be with a coach who has stayed with me through it all, before I was good, and I want to play for you. That's the, that's the type of guy I want to play for. Well, obviously, Jack Allen was fired up and happy and excited. They win, uh, they win the national championship. And uh, they have a phenomenal baseball team as well as a phenomenal coach. They win the national championship. They're going to try to win it the next year. And uh, 
they're not quite sure. Uh, they don't quite have the same team, but they definitely have a, two good pitchers and an okay team, but tradition and good coaching, and they're going to try to win it the next year. So Donnie wins every game he's pitched so far, hasn't lost a game he's pitched. And uh, they get into the World Series, uh, the College World Series. And they get into the first game that they're going to pitch, or that he's going to pitch in, and Donnie pitches a perfect game. Uh, and, and they win. They, they beat a team they shouldn't have beat, and they win because of his arm. Well, they go into the locker room, and after, as they're in there at the locker room, everybody's kind of cheering and happy and all that, and, and Jack Allen is telling them, he says, guys, I'm so proud of you. Tomorrow when we play for the national championship, I'm just proud of you. I don't know how it's going to go, but it's okay if we lose. And he kind of gives that speech. And we've all heard the speech. We've all given the speeches, you know, and he gives that speech. Well, Donnie stands up. He says, Coach, what are you talking about? You're acting like we've lost before we've even started. Well, I just want you guys to know, I mean, it, we're, I mean we've done well. And and we're up against an insurmountable task tomorrow. So Donnie says, listen, guys, I'll pitch tomorrow, coach. Now, obviously, there was no pitch count back in these days. (laughs) And uh, he says, no, yeah, you're not going to pitch tomorrow, Donnie. Like, you can't pitch. You just pitched a perfect game. He says, well, I'm pitching tomorrow, coach, and I will pitch. Well, what's Jack Allen going to say? Okay, bring it on. Yeah, bring it on. Yeah, or, yeah, we're doing this. You talked me into it. All right. <laughs> well, every newspaper you can about imagine got wind of that. Oh yeah. And it's it's everywhere. So that pat that house is packed. That stadium is packed, wall to wall, porters everywhere, media everywhere, and uh, they get out there to warm up. Donnie starts walking out there, stretches for a minute, and walks out. And how many pitches does a pitcher get before he can? Uh, you know, back in '73, I'm sure there wasn't any, any count. But how oh, long? About, like, how long you be- start, before you start an inning? Yeah, how long? How uh, that long now in high school, it's eight. You eight. get eight warm-ups, and you don't have to take all eight, but you can go out there and like. Yeah. That's probably pretty universal. I'd say. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. Okay, so Donnie walks out there, and catcher gets down his in his stance, and once he gets down, Donnie kind of gets ready, gets in this full windup, rears back, and you could hear a pin drop. And he throws that ball as hard as he can and pop! Hits that glove. Catcher gets the ball, throws it right back to him. He gets the ball, stares right back at the catcher, drops the ball, and walks back towards the dugout. Well, Coach Allen's going, what in the world? I mean, what are you thinking? Yeah, is he hurt or something didn't feel right? Or I'm out. Like, I, I don't feel right. I don't want, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes over there, gets a cup of water, starts getting to drink a cup of water. Coach Allen's just watching him, walks over there to him. Now you can picture Coach Allen. I can imagine. I mean, he's, yeah. 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 Yeah, I can, I can, his cigar is fixing to be yeah. all in Donnie's face as he's yelling at him. Donnie, you okay? Oh, yes, sir. I just wanted to scare the ever-living fire out of him. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. Coach, that's, that's it. That's, that's awesome. all I got. And I it's all in one pitch, Coach, but that's all I got. But I'm going to give you all I got. Well, he walks out there, and he's smart. He's a smart pitcher. And he's pitching a great game. And they're up. I mean, they're, they're, they're up in the game. Three to two, late in the seventh inning. 
and uh, Donnie was a good bat batter too. And so he gets caught. Uh, he gets on base and gets caught in a rundown in the third base side. Plants his foot, turns, knee gives out. Down he goes. Well, they carry him off and they take him into the dugout. Trainer gets him, sitting there looking at him, going, "Hey, uh, Coach Allen, it's not good. Uh, his knee's not good. It's not connecting where it's supposed to." Um. So they're trying. To, they're still batting out the inning, trying to hold on to their lead. And while they're still trying to hold on to their lead, um, they sit there and say, "Hey, Jack or uh, Donnie, you're probably good. Uh, we're probably we're probably done." Coach, I'm not done, and you are not taking me out. Turns to the trainer, he says, what do we do? He's like, man, I mean, he's, he's dirt. I mean, if, if he can do it, I mean, it, I don't know what else he could do worse. I mean, it's, oh, right. I, I'm going back out there. Well, he finishes the game, and they win the game, and they win it 4-3. to three. The minute the game's over, the Chicago Cubs – Throw him on a plane the minute the game's over and draft him number one in the to the draft to go to the Chicago Cubs. Golly. Still hasn't lost a game he's pitched in. So a few years go off and he goes into the farm system and uh, and he plays pretty quick right away for the Chicago Cubs as a reliever. He winds up playing for the Chicago Cubs, uh, St. Louis Brewers, Braves, all as a relieving pitcher. And he winds up going to the California Angels in 1986. California Angels were studs. Do you know much yeah. about them back then? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. This, this was the year the California Angels were making a run at the pennant. So he starts pitching for them as the year goes on, and he's calling Jack Allen for help and things like that and, and just advice and, and always staying in touch with, with, with Coach Allen. And they wind up playing the uh, – Boston Red Sox in the 1986 American League Championship. They're in Game Five of it to close out Game Five and win the and win the series and end it and go to the World Series. Well, they're getting in a bind. Game's getting close, and they call in Donnie Moore to pitch. Well, Donnie Moore comes in and he's going to bat against uh, Dave Henderson uh, for the Boston Red Sox. And he's pitching away, and he's up on him in the count. And finally, he's one strike away from sending the Anaheim, or not Anaheim, California yeah, Angels. California Angels at yeah. that time, yeah. To the World so Series. one strike away from the last out of the game. Mm-hmm. Throws it, rears back, going to smoke it right by him. Home run. Loses the game. Boston Red Sox go ahead and win the next two games in the series. And then obviously they go on to the World Series. I do think that might have—I can't remember if the Boston Red Sox won it that year or if that was the Buckner year. And but yeah, that's the one where Bill Buckner's going to field the ball and it goes between his legs, legs at first, first base, base and they lose. Well, Bill Buckner would have never went through that had dang uh, it, Donnie had uh, it's all your fault had uh, <laughs> Henderson never hit that home run. So, anyways. A few years go by, that was in 1986, uh, and a few years go by, and Donnie Moore, so in 1989, Donnie Moore finally calls Jack Allen and says, listen, I've had as much bad press as I can get. Um, I, I'm beat down. The media in California and uh, Los Angeles is, is just beating me down. They're killing me. 
Um, I'm worthless. I'm terrible. Um, and Coach Allen's just building them up. Just, man, you're unbelievable. And builds them up and leaves the phone in a great, great manner. He ends up the next morning getting in, uh, picking up the newspaper and in the lead section of the newspaper, uh, it says that uh, Donnie Moore uh, commits suicide, shoots his uh, wife and uh, doesn't kill her, but shoots his wife and then takes his own life and leaves his, uh, and leaves his kids in the house. And the reason I tell that story and the reason why is it was something that resonated to me is to always keep my priorities in line. We put winning and we love hearing winning stories and as coaches we got into it and it, and nobody more competitive than I want to be. I want to beat you if we're playing chess or checkers or tic-tac-toe. Like I want to be competitive but as a young man who's getting into the coaching profession I thought it was a resonating story to tell me no matter how bad I want to win, even if it doesn't happen, to keep my priorities in such a line that something like that can't be the ending chapter to my life. And uh, and so that's the story. That's that's the story of Jack Allen told an impressionable kid in Tarleton State University a good story. about mm-hmm. Donnie Moore and and I'm sure there's some inaccuracies in there. Uh, I, I, oh, yeah, you know, I'm sure it's at, gotten pro- I'm sure as it's time's gotten gone over. Every time you've told that, but uh, it is a good story that resonates with me. It's so. a good story. Color man, you got oh, a gosh. story? I, I don't know how much time you want to give me, um, but no, I, I'll just kind of going off that a little bit. I'm still a young coach, kind of going through some things. Um, if anything, just kind of from what I've learned, it, it would be more of a uh, not a not a warning or, or to tell you it can be better. Um, it's more of a just a you'll get through it kind of story. Um, but I just know I did all the right things and, and kind of what he said about his story and, and how you come into it, especially out of high school, you get you get kind of blinded. I know you're the same way. I mean, you, you come out of high school and, and sports is your life. And, oh, yeah. And, and you get sheltered and you think that it's all fine and dandy. Um, your coaches kind of shelter you from a lot. And, and that's when you kind of get your passion to be a coach because you, you don't see the, the bad about it. You just see all the good you reap from it, whether you're winning or losing. Um, and I really did. I thought I did all the right things, too. I, I went to college, um, and in the fall I lived in, in my, my car. I broadcasted football games. I was at a football game every Friday night. Um, I traveled with the ACU um, in their 2016 football season um, and, and worked with them. I was always in Hamilton bugging you guys. Um, and, and I really thought I did everything right, and, and I probably did as much as you can, but when you, when you get into the profession, it's a lot different. Um, I was a couple months past 21 years old when I took my first job um, and, and was thrown into it at a 3A program. Um, and as I, as I went through it, uh, winning and really just coaching football games or basketball games or, or, or being in the lights, under the lights at all, is about 5% of the job. I mean, uh, there's so much more that leads up to that in coaching. There's so much more that leads up to coaching um, as far as in the classroom. Um, really, there's just so much that you get sheltered from. you you got to be able to hang in there is really my, my theory. Um, there's a lot of things that can knock you down and, and can knock the wind out of you. And It's not just coming in and coaching anymore. Um, you gotta, you got to really have a, a passion for it. Um, and... And there's no how-to manual that's going to make it perfect for you. I just I know that when you get in, um, 
you gotta you gotta you gotta reach those hurdles and and it's it does suck because you you lose a little bit of the the kid feeling to it um that you get that that gets you to that you graduate high school and you're like this yeah. is what i want to do because oh, yeah. you saw all the fun of it but you get you get to see how the meat's made at a pretty and i got to see it at a pretty young age i mean i was 21 22. well if you had to go back and kind of put yourself through the college phase to maybe get yourself what is something that you would tell yourself like going back like hey i would say this back to you know, Bryson over, I want to see how the meat's made. You know, everybody likes to eat sausage, but they don't always like to go back and see how it's mm-hmm. churned up and packaged and all that kind of stuff. So, Yeah, I don't necessarily know if I could have done – I tried – I guess I probably just – I stayed around and, and involved myself in football at the college level with ACU, which wasn't really helpful with, with being a high school football coach. And then me just watching games on Friday nights – I, I, you, if you get more opportunities to kind of be in there and student teach and be in a classroom setting, but even then when you kind of shoulder some of the load from being a, a coach or a head coach or an assistant coach, there's just a lot more that weighs on you. Um, I, I, I don't know if I could really answer. I, it would be more of a hang in there for me. Uh, you just I just think what it really is is because um, this for me was what I wanted to do ever since I was 15, 16 years old in high school just because um, – I knew the coach, like my coaches, the impact that they made on me and what I wanted to, and that I wanted to be able to do that um, for other kids and also too for me. I'm very competitive, played college sports and everything else, and so I, I wanted to stay connected with that. And I knew that's how how to do it and to accomplish both things. But you don't realize the the planning is what kicks up on everything, and you know how I do with yeah. planning. I'm not bad. I can play down a week, and then after that, sometimes I struggle. But um, so you know, but that and the th- other thing is, it's just the planning and the in-depthness of it. Whether you're talking about your classroom, your sport, um, your what you have to do in your sport to be involved. Whether that means you're the head coach, uh, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, play caller, or you're just a position coach, man. And, but you have to figure out what you need to do and plan. And a lot of that stuff, it, the way I've heard it described to me is when you start coaching. You, you see the river you have to cross, but the bridge to cross the river, it ain't built yet. So you're having to build the bridge and figure out how to design it, and then what's the best way to get it to the other side of the river to make it all work, and you don't have that foundation yet. And I think, and, and then the other side of it is, is you have to know how to handle that, but then just like what Bryson said, like everybody's not gonna see what you do. Like 5% of what we do is game day, and that's the 100% of what people typically see, or I'll say 90% oh, what your of what people see, be off of, yeah, yeah, is 5% of our time. People don't see us, you know, mowing the fields, spraying the weeds, painting the lines, putting out the grass, mopping the floors, um, you know, get, uh, reaching out to our kids going, hey man, I saw this and it made me think of you and it was funny. Not even anything about sports, but just making those connections and relationships as people and 90% of the people we're around not only do they not see that stuff, to them that's irrelevant. Well, and I, and I think you brought up a good point we talked about, and we, we're going to wrap this thing up. Yeah, but, we are. And, and one of the things that we're going to talk about in one of our podcasts coming up is going to be exactly what we just talk, uh, talked about here for a second is what, do, what behind the scenes is that other 95%? Mm-hmm. Um, well, Bryson, thanks for coming in and spending this time with us. I thought it was – uh, thought it was great. Definitely uh, appreciate oh, yeah. you uh, gracing us with your presence and, and yeah. bringing up the IQ in the room for sure. No, I enjoyed being here. Uh, I love sitting around and talking. Any kind of 
sports or anything with you guys. So I've enjoyed the time. Uh, I hope y'all enjoyed this one. This is our second episode of this of Uncommonly Good. Uh, y'all stay tuned. In our next one, we're going to have some phone interviews and everything else. So it's been real and it's been fun, but it ain't been real fun. See y'all next time.